Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 235 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the new movie Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And this will involve spoilers for everything in the movie, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by four guests. So first up, we've got our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed and Nightmare Magazines, and he also oversees John Joseph Adams' books, an imprint of Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. He's the series editor of The Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy, and he's also edited many other anthologies, including the recent books Press Start to Play, Loosed Upon the World, and What the Bleep is That? So, John, welcome back. Good to be here, it is. (laughs) Then next up, we've got Matt London making his 16th appearance on the show. He's a video game designer and author whose Eighth Continent novels, a series of science fiction eco-adventures, are available now. So, Matt, welcome to the show. It's still my 15th appearance. I've been sitting here since the last one. <laughs> and also joining us today is Rajan Khanna, making his seventh appearance on the show. His first novel, Falling Sky, a post-apocalyptic adventure with airships, was released in 2014 from Pirate Books, and a sequel, Rising Tide, is out now. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Lightspeed, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and Shimmer, and his articles have appeared on Tor.com and LitReactor.com. So, Raj, welcome to the show. May the force be with you. And finally, we've got Jordan Hamsley London making her fifth appearance on the show. She's a children's book editor who's worked at Insight Editions, Adaptive Books, Grosset and Dunlap, and Egmont USA, where she's worked with authors such as E.C. Myers, Adam Troy Castro, and Ben H. Winters. So, Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Okay, so you, if you've been listening to this show for a year, you'll know that exactly one year ago, mm-hmm. this exact same panel was gathered to discuss the last Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens. And if you listen to that, you may know that I wasn't such a big fan of The Force Awakens. And Matt also had some critical things to say about the movie. And there was a bit of a uh, reaction to that. <laughs> and uh, just, to, just one um, exchange from that sticks out in my mind. I'm just going to read here. So, this, so, so another geek website wrote, Wow, could not disagree more with the Geek's Guide to the Galaxy's latest episode, at least the first 15 minutes. The Force Awakens is, quote, like a puppy movie. Sorry, put a really bad taste in my mouth. I might be back, but you've lost a subscriber. No film is beyond criticism, but as The Force Awakens was the most anticipated film of all time, expectations demand tempering. Your opinions seemed blindsided by expectations and your criticisms extremely contrarian. For a film that was such a win for the geek world and you bashing it as so, I don't see how I can reasonably call you my geek's guide to the galaxy. And so I responded, um... I disagree that Wait, I had you responded. You responded to the message. I, I, I did. I'm about to read you my response. Uh, okay. I, I responded. I disagree that I had unrealistic expectations. I feared it would be terrible and hoped it would be a bit better than Return of the Jedi. I think that's pretty reasonable given that Return of the Jedi is just okay in my opinion. But I was really rubbed wrong, as I said, by all the winking, nudging, fourth wall breaking jokiness. I hate that stuff. I don't think it's unreasonable to hope for a Star Wars movie that doesn't constantly remind you that it's all just a movie. The frustration I expressed with that is my honest emotional reaction. Should I lie and say I loved it because others did? Honestly, I would gladly sacrifice every fan I'll ever have if it meant that the next Star Wars movie believed in its own reality. So yeah, so you get kind of an idea. So you can you <laughs> kind of get the idea from that of uh, what it was like. <laughs> so two things I'll add to this really quickly. One... Uh, our, your listeners can rest assured 
that, Dave, you're completely wrong about Return of the Jedi. So at least we've dodged that. <laughs> and second, let me really quick, let me just uh, uh, relate my own experience from having uh, <laughs> been on the panel last year. So uh, my brother was part of a uh, anticipatory uh, forum, like an online group that they were talking they, that they were talking about the movie episode seven. They were freaking out about all the rumors and spoilers that were coming out. And then they were discussing in great detail every piece of criticism and like every think piece that came out about the movie after it was released. And apparently the amount of negative, uh, uh, the amount of negative comments about our discussion last year was so high that my brother had to leave the group. They named you. Yeah, so it, apparently it was, he was, so he was an anonymous member of this group. Uh, but people were sit, ha, posting comments like, this idiot Matt London doesn't know what he's talking about. And it got so bad that my brother had to leave in shame. <laughs> <laughs> Raj Jordan and I, however, were on the right side of history, so. Yeah. Because we, we liked it. <laughs> Well, and like the the comments I read, I, I read it because it was from an actual website and was, you know, had proper grammar and stuff like that. <laughs> but, you know, there were hundreds and hundreds of comments online, which, as you would imagine, were just like completely incoherent, grammar free, you know, just like venting rage. So, yeah. So anyway, so that was the thing that happens. But uh, we now live in a post grammar society. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so, John, you didn't. Did you have any, uh, did you see any of these reactions to our episode or anything, or did you follow that at all? A little bit, just, uh, just, uh, like, I, I think I saw some on Facebook or, or else something that you pointed out to me, but, um, yeah, I, uh, I didn't go out looking for it, uh, just because it's like, I mean, honestly, like, any episode of Geek's Guide, if you look at the comments anywhere, it's usually just a bunch of people, like, railing against political correctness or some shit. So it's like, it's just like madness to actually pay attention to any of it, really. But um, I can I can understand why the Star Wars ones would uh, sort of get under your skin a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was by far the most negative uh, response to any uh, episode we've ever done. So just keep that in mind as we move forward. But, uh, um, but yeah, so let's talk about this new movie, uh, Rogue One, um, which actually I liked quite a bit. So hopefully... Uh, oh! It's a miracle. All week, really? I have been trying to decide what Dave's reaction is going to be. And as I was watching the movie, I was thinking, Dave's not going to like that. Dave right. might like that. I wonder what Dave thinks about this thing. So this will be enlightening for, for all of us. Okay, well, so, so yeah, so I said I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, did anyone hate it or anything like that? Did anyone just, just like really not like the movie? I didn't dislike the movie, but I was disappointed. Hmm. Um, and I think a lot that had more to do probably with my expectations than anything else. Uh, I think I'm going to see it again. Well, I'm definitely seeing it again tonight. Um, because I feel like I need to give it a second chance without going in having certain expectations. And I tried not to. I really tried not to. And then everyone was like raving about it. And the trailers looked so good that I think I imagined it was a specific kind of movie and it wasn't that movie. Mm. And so I think that caused, I mean, I, there were so many things I loved about it, but there were parts that kind of kept, I, I felt distant from. Wait, so when you say you, you thought it was a specific kind of movie, what kind of movie did you think it was going to be? I think I wanted it one to be darker. Um, darker. And I, yeah, everyone dies. 
Yeah, I but... mean, spoiler alert, right? Like, where, where this is like a flat out, like, you know, spoilers everywhere, right? Like, yeah, yeah, holds hard, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, everyone dies, Roger. Every, everyone dies, and, and <laughs> one of, and, and one of the leads murders people indiscriminately. Like, yeah. <laughs> Darker than that? I mean, you, I, I don't know. I think, I think I, I, what were you I think looking part of it, for, Raj? Yeah, yeah. I don't, like, I, it, that's difficult to, to, uh, to explain. Um, you know, I think, all I know is that from watching the trailer, it felt like a different kind of movie. And I found certain parts of this movie, and I know it's Star Wars, so this is kind of included in the whole thing. But I found parts of this movie very melodramatic that, that it kept, again, I wanted to kind of submerge myself in it. And I kept, kept feeling kind of slapped out of it in certain moments, almost like the way I figured Dave felt when he saw The Force Awakens. Um, and I think that there were certain missteps that they made um but as i mentioned there are parts of this that i thought were like amazing you know like that i wish there were more of that and less of the other stuff um and i mean we can talk about specifics as we go along but yeah I just, well, well it's, it's funny rush because last year my mom listened to our panel and she said that she thought it was a mistake for me to completely trash the movie in the first 15 minutes and that she should, I should have given people who liked the movie a chance to talk first and then trashed it later on <laughs> in the episode. So I think I'm going to start out and I think I'm going to, I'm going to take that advice and just start out and have some positive things to say about this movie, which as I said, I, I liked quite a lot. Um, but so how about Jordan? Did you, uh, you want to say some things you liked about this movie? Yeah, out of respect for uh, Dave's mom. What did, what, what did <laughs> I I enjoyed it a lot. I think that I I am a I'm an emotional viewer of franchises. I'm someone who can very easily be emotionally manipulated by character reveals and things that harken back to other installments which is why i think force awakens worked for me because i it those easter eggs felt special and brought a tear to my eye and i like i cried a lot during force awakens i didn't cry at all in this movie um but it was just a really fun ride um, I'm also eight and a half months pregnant, and <laughs> so I have a child who definitely enjoyed the movie because she punched me a lot during the action sequences. But um, I think that I really, I really liked Jin and the entire posse that she surrounded herself with was awesome, you know. And I've seen a lot of criticism about like lack of character development for all of them um but she really worked for me and you know i initially i was like oh it's just another special orphan kid and we just can't get away from special orphans in this universe hmm. but um i like that she took her time to decide she needed to become the rebel like to join the rebellion because Luke just was always raging to get out but Jin's like I've got my own life I've been doing my own stuff for years and it finally becomes personal with her once you get her father involved um and so that 
that worked for me. Having only seen the trailers once or twice, I try and av- I tried to avoid them as much as possible. I actually thought her dad was going to be a a bad guy throughout. Um and so I actually liked that it was never a question of if he was a good or bad guy, that he was just doing the best he could in a bad situation. Um so that I I appreciated as well um but ultimately it just was a fun two and a half hours of of action i really like action sequences in this universe and there's space fights going on and ground war going on and hijinks with droids it just it the balance of all of that in the last act of the film was a ton of fun and then smacks you in the face with death and more death, and more death, and then Darth Vader slicing people in half. Hmm. So you get a glimmer of literal hope at the end. Um, and I think that's the thing that annoyed me almost more than anything else in the whole movie, is just like the usage of the word hope over and over again. But at least it wasn't like, don't worry, now we have a new hope. <laughs> Roll credits. Um, but that felt a little cheesy, and I have lots of thoughts on CGI Tarkin and Leia, but we can get into Okay, that. well, well, we'll get to that in our things we disliked about the movie mm-hmm. section of the What episode. if somebody really enjoyed CGI Tarkin, Dave? You're making assumptions. <laughs> I actually did really enjoy that part. See? There you go. I did too. I'm going to be the contrary one in this <laughs> podcast, I can tell. Sorry, Dave's mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, tr- I'm trying to I'm trying to lift us up here. Uh, John, can you can you lift us up lift, lift up our uh, spirits here? Uh, sure. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the movie as well. Uh, uh, I'll have some things to you know criticize later, but I mean, uh, I, I pre- uh, overall I, I really enjoyed everything. Um, I, I mean, I enjoyed the whole experience. Um, I I loved all of the action sequences. I mean, it was really great seeing all of our classic uh, you know X wings and all that kind of stuff like back in action again. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I saw, uh, leading up to the release of the movie, I saw, um, a lot of people making fun of this one Vox.com review, which, uh, uh, said something like, you know, oh, it's the first Star Wars movie that makes you really realize that the whole series is about war. It's like, and then everyone was like, hey, it has war right in the name of it. And then, and then it's like, oh, hey, look at the opening crawl. It says civil war. It's about a civil war, you know? And it's like, and so it was like kind of silly, but then. After having seen the movie, I'm like, oh, wait, okay, it's like, that was a terrible headline, but, like, I totally get why they were saying that, because it's like, that is a war movie. Like, none of the other movies were war movies, they were, um, they were action movies with, like, set against the backdrop of these wars, but, like, Rogue One is, like, a war movie, like, it, it, you know, because, I mean, like, it's so brutal, I mean, like, toward the end of the movie, like, like we said, like, everyone dies, um, and so I really like that they brought this level of, um, sort of, uh, grittier reality to the Star Wars universe, which we haven't gotten to see a lot of um in the past and um uh and so and so like I really love that aspect but um also uh I think like the biggest thing for me is I love uh K2 K2SO um like yes. that droid uh, he's like my new favorite robot I think I mean I don't know it'd be a, it'd be a hard battle between him and Baymax like I love I love me some Baymax but <laughs> but I mean like like this like K2SO is like he he's the first robot to really be a challenger to Baymax uh and uh 
and yeah, I, I thought he was amazing. I mean, just like such such wonderful delivery every time. Like you know, when when they're talking about like how they're gonna get they're gonna die in the vacuum of space, and and he's like, well, not me. Uh, I I can survive in space. You know, and it's like that that was just so well delivered and everything. I just and he had so many great lines like that. Uh, he was he was just a delight the whole way through, and uh, and I thought that worked really well because. With the movie being as dark as it was, it was really good to have the nice, uh, solid um, comic relief. Unlike, you know, like C three PO, who's like kind of like this weird, annoying, like like a like a nag. He's just like kind of nagging people and uh, and telling and and uh, and 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 decrying doom all the time. You know, K two S O does uh, some doom crying himself, but uh, it's much, it's like much more amusing, I guess, the way he does it. I actually agree with you on that, John. <laughs> <laughs> It reminded me a lot of the Stephen Merchant uh, robot in Portal 2. Ah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like humor that gets you through awfulness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I really really enjoyed him. He grew on me because initially I was like, are you just going to be comic relief? But there was a moment in our audience when they're having the fight on Jeddah and Jin shoots one of the droids <laughs> mm-hmm. and the audience had an audible reaction of like, Oh no. Mm-hmm. And then it's obviously not Kato. And then he has, the, he basically has the same reaction that the audience had, which was, did you think that was me? <laughs> um, and so I, yeah, he was great. Yeah, actually, uh, so I'll also say, um, like when, when he does get killed, uh, I was so mad at them. I was like, oh, how could you kill him? He was so great. But then they killed everybody. So I was like, okay, well, I guess that's fair. <laughs> well, I, I guess let me say, John, because I had a very specific, uh, thing I wanted out of this movie, mm-hmm. which is I wanted Star Wars Black Hawk down. Like 100%, <laughs> uh-huh. that's what I wanted. And I thought there was no chance that I was going to get it. Uh-huh. Um, and actually, I have a friend who, was well connected to the project and he, you know, they did all these reshoots at one point. Mm-hmm. He was pretty yeah. big news. Mm-hmm. And what he told me was that they had wanted everyone to die at the end and they had reshot it. The studio had wanted it to have a happier end. And so they had reshot it. So that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I was very disappointed about that. But then like watching the movie when um, K2SO dies, I was like, I think maybe they're going to kill everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was so excited about that. And, um, and so that's really why, you know, why I'm so um, positive about this movie, because I had a, a bunch of issues with it that we can talk about in a bit. But just the fact that you can have a Star Wars movie that's not just for kids, that's, you mm-hmm. know, like like you say, like has has pretty, you know, um, serious war scenes and, uh, you know, has this it's just like different and unexpected and has this downbeat ending and all this stuff like it just I mean, Raj was saying that it didn't meet his expectations, but it wildly exceeded my expectations for that reason because my expectations were pretty low because I just thought that Disney was going to make a Disney movie mm-hmm. and not a, a a Black Hawk Down type movie. And it, it was closer to that than I, I ever thought I had any reason to expect. I've also seen a lot of parents on Twitter asking before they take their eight or nine-year-old to see it if it's going to be too intense. Um and some people have actually said, I, I've seen tweets that are like, parents, it's PG-13, it's a hard PG-13, think before you take your kids. Because I do think after the prequels and just all of the toys that are wrapped up in this franchise now, it has become this kid-friendly franchise. And so 
being able to say, you know, this is, they're going to love that droid. And then that droid is going to get so murdered. Like (laughs) the amount of death heaped on that droid is intense. And, you know, there is no, there, you don't get to have your action figure live at the end. So it, it's a bold choice. And I'm very glad that they were able to do it. Um, and then you can just immediately pop in your DVD or your download of New Hope and be like, look, it's all okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it had well, a how, about, how about, how about, I want to get mad in here. Matt, what'd you, what did you, what'd you think of this movie overall? Well, um, you know, I'm a little biased because this film was based, um, pretty closely on a Star Wars tabletop role playing game that I did in 1993, <laughs> uh, based on a campaign. Uh, that I game mastered. So, um, no, but seriously, um, I, I thought it was good. I liked it. I, I, you know, you said, uh, it was Star Wars Black Hawk Down. I went in kind of expecting Star Wars, uh, Dirty Dozen or Star Wars Seven Samurai. Um, and, you know, both of those things felt pretty much in line with the original vision, um, of the, of the, not genre, but of the franchise for, um, for Lucas. And, um, it was really interesting to see, you know, it, it was the first time that I'd really thought, uh, that, you know, the first Star Wars movie came out only a couple of years after the end of Vietnam. And it was very interesting to sort of, and, and, you know, the original Star Wars, uh, trilogy was, was based pretty heavily on, um, old film serials. And so to see, you know, the final battle taking place on this palm tree laden beach, with explosions and tanks and, uh, soldiers and guerrilla fighting. Um, it, it, it really was, uh, evocative of, you know, very, very real wars. Um, it did very much feel like a war movie in that regard. Um, in a way that, like, uh, like we were saying before, you know, the others are sort of using the war as a backdrop. Um, you know, I was very intrigued by, uh, getting a whole batch of new characters. I was intrigued by the way that they were able to tie the, the story so closely to um, the originals. As a you know, very hardcore Star Wars fan for a long time, uh, it was great to see so many homages to the uh, to the original trilogy and even the prequels and 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 a lot of the expanded universe, which I'm sure we'll talk about um, in more detail later. But um, you know, my ex my expectations were met and exceeded and. Um, I was, you know, very happy to see the movie. I, now I'm thinking about seeing it again, just because I know that there's a lot to to get out of it. Um, and you know, I I feel like I could enjoy the ride even better now. I'll also just say that, um, dude, you do not want to be on the surface of the planet when uh, the Death Star shoots your planet. <laughs> that that thing will mess you up. And uh, you know, it's it's funny. Like in the original, they blow up Alderaan. It's just like a firework. But uh, seeing the shockwave sort of hit the planet and roar toward people um, in this age of special effects, that's a special effect that um, still managed to amaze me. I actually thought that was one of the smartest things they did because you couldn't have the Death Star destroy a planet before it destroys Alderaan, right? right? Because that would have thrown everything out of whack. But to see that level of destruction Mm -hmm. in a smaller space, I thought was a great way to kind of use that device uh and still preserve the original right timeline. you have to you have to stick to continuity but you also have to express the stakes um internally within the confines of this movie alone 
And what's really interesting is that, you know, there was precedent set by um, not just, you know, blowing up individual capital ships in Return of the Jedi, but in um, many expanded universe sources, um, seeing how, you know, how the Death Star uh, was used in other in other ways. Um, it ties in really closely to um, the ability to sort of like use the single single power drive uh, super laser. Right. I want to pick up, Matt, on what you were saying about this seeming like more of a war movie. And one thing that I thought that this movie did really, really well is it introduced a level of moral, moral ambiguity mm-hmm. that just, you know, it just goes way beyond what I remember ever seeing in a Star Wars feature film before, to the extent that you had different factions among the rebels, like some of them are you know, kind of like plotting against other ones or some of them are religious fanatics and like they're going too far. We can't like rely on them. And then also, you know, you have an Imperial pilot who's a sympathetic character and you have um, the Imperial scientists who all get executed or portrayed sympathetically. And it just like, it's a, it's a lot more of the, you know, and then, you know, the, then you have like the rebels having to do things that are not like really like good guy things. And it just all made it much more interesting to me that it just felt a lot more complex and not so much just like you've got the dark side and the light side and you know it, it, it really messed you know sort of played with that a lot more right there was also um a, and and it, this was the first uh this was the first star wars movie that really portrayed the rebels as the terrorists that they are um you know it it felt like they were very much an insurgency um and uh and that they were willing to do whatever it took to get the freedom that they needed. Well, like the scene where they attack the the stormtrooper convoy, you know, mm-hmm. it was a very right. Uh, yeah, you know, um, one of the things I also one of the other things I really liked about the movie is like uh, to piggyback on what Matt was saying about it, uh, you know, sort of reference or kind of, kind of feeling like expanded universe in in a lot of ways. Um, this being the first movie that is of their sort of quote unquote anthology series where they're going to you know tell stories outside the the regular numbered episodes, um, outside of those uh, primary characters. Um, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting because it totally felt exactly like what I would expect uh, an expanded universe novel to, to be or, or what they like. It, it felt like, like, uh, like when I was reading all those novels, like this is the same exact thing that the, that the authors would sort of pick up on. It's like, okay, well let's, let's take this one um, aspect that's mentioned in the movies and just build a whole story around it. In this case, you know, stealing the plants to the Death Star. Um, and it, it, it's like, there's a lot of things that are dropped in the original movies that like, you know, as fans, we all wonder about like, well, what does this mean? Or what does that mean? I'd love to learn more about that thing. And um, of course the, the Death Star plans are, is a major uh, event that we, we never really knew much about. Um, I mean, I think it was covered in some of the ex- old expanded universe uh, novels, but, but never in the movies. We, we never learned much about it in the movies. So I thought, I thought that was really interesting. And I, it gives me hope for what these other movies might, uh, you know, sort of shed what, what kind of, what kind of light these other movies will shed on the Star Wars universe. Well, John, and on that specifically, too, the fact that they they sort of retcon it in a way so that the Death Star blowing up makes sense, you know, that mm-hmm, it was a, a yeah. design flaw that was intentionally introduced. I just thought it was yeah. brilliant. Right, right, right. Yeah, because it's like, well, hey, what's what's the thing that people complain about most with the destruction of the Death Star? It's like, oh, well, it's like too easy. Why is that thing there? Like, you know, it's like surely that we should be we we should have been able to foresee that that would be a problem. But yeah, no, it it it, it works it works well for that reason too. Yeah. See, Raj, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, do you think we'll see a Bothan movie coming up? In <laughs> yes. Dude, there were Bothans in this movie. That was crazy. Wait, <laughs> there were? Totally. 
We're there. Who are the boffins? There's a boffin hanging out in uh, the Masasi Temple during one of the um, one of the meeting scenes with the rebels. Mm. So a singular <laughs> boffin. Yeah, there's like a cut to a boffin. Not many. And then the boffin doesn't have any lines or anything. And you said, and you notice him just because of the way he was described in the in the expanded universe stuff, like the furry guys. Yeah, the furry guys. <laughs> they're like uh, aside from Wookies and Ewoks. Yeah. <laughs> And well, they're sort of like mouse. They're sort of mouse-like. They're like um, kind of like a uh, like a tall Chanda Chandra fan. If you want to get technical, <laughs> Jordan's looking at me right now. Like, what the heck is a Chandra fan? You <laughs> nerd! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the many Bothans thing is from the second Death Star, right? right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But those guys obviously deserve a movie too. Well, well yeah. sure, yeah. I mean. You know, since they can't make a sequel to Rogue One, uh, you know, I guess uh, that would be another way to do it. An all Bothan cast. Well, see, see, John, what I was terrified was going to happen when I didn't, you know, before I thought everyone was going to die in this movie was that it was just going to be like sequel to sequel after this movie where you're going to be on Bespin and you're going to be on Endor. <laughs> and Rogue One was actually there behind the scenes the whole time doing everything oh. important, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be terrible. So I'm well, glad, they'd, have I'm glad to call they the second, they'd have to call the second one Rogue Two, right? Let's be yeah. real. <laughs> Um, but Matt, do you want to say, you just mentioned like the temple and stuff. Do you want to, is there anything yeah. that, um, as a, having gone really deep into the expanded universe and stuff that, um, in, enhanced your enjoyment of this movie that casual viewers wouldn't, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't understand? Gone so deep into the expanded universe that I'll never come out. <laughs> Speaking as the person who was sitting next to him while he was watching it, I can say that he had like, audible physical reactions to set pieces that were clearly based on art that came from a video game or like Matt was geeking out on levels where I was just like, this looks cool. Yeah. There was a, well, yeah. When, uh, when Jimmy Smith showed up, I was well, like, okay. when, Jimmy, oh, yeah, that when was Jimmy Smith showed up, that was like one of the two moments where I almost burst into tears. Yeah. Oh. Can I just say something though? Cause I, I watched it with my girlfriend and she's not into Star Wars at all. And we watched Star Wars, uh, last week, I guess like Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, something like that. Um, because I thought it would be good refresher for her. And when Panda Baba and Dr. What's oh. his name? E- e- Evazan or Esteban or whatever his name is, um, <laughs> show Esteban. up. I Esteban was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Gloria Estefan's dad. <laughs> but, uh, when they show up, like I made it like an audible noise and like kind of squirmed in my seat. And she was like, oh, What's going on? And I was like, How do you not remember those guys? Like, though, you know, he, they even say the same lines, right? Like, yeah. I don't yeah. like you or something like that. So, um, yeah. Although I'm of I'm of mixed opinions mm-hmm. about all of that stuff, but we can get to that later. Wait, so Jordan, you said that watching the movie, you were thinking about whether I would hate something or not. What did, did you think? What did you think would be my reaction <laughs> to that moment? That that you would be like, oh, cut it out. Correct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it's it's funny in the moment, but it's also just it's winking. And it's fan service. It's fan service. Yeah. I think Tarkin is important from a story perspective. I'm not sure how I feel about the execution, but Tarkin makes sense because Tarkin is such an important part of the Death Star's existence in the movies we already have. So the fact that Tarkin is in the film doesn't bother me. I 
had heard that there was some sort of CGI Tarkin that would appear, and I thought it was literally going to be a three-second shot. I didn't realize he would be, like, the fourth male lead of the film. But, um, but those, but the moments with the dudes on Jeddah, I was like, this is funny, but we could also be spending more time getting to the action. It's like two seconds but, of the Okay, movie. it was like, 20, like, I know, it was like two seconds and it's funny. And I laughed. Well, I can tell you what I thought of the execution of the Tarkin thing if we're ready to talk about that. No, but... we're not ready to talk about okay. Tarkin. Wait, <laughs> can I can I say what I thought was the moment that Dave would be like, yes. oh my god, I can't believe... Was when Darth Vader mm-hmm. makes the choke pun. Oh my god, yes, yes. Correct. That was like possibly my least favorite moment. <laughs> I agree, thing, I agree with that. Like, I agree with that. I was like, you went too far. Clearly. He did, he I went mean, too far. And, yeah. and that's the point where you see the writers, you know, it's kind of coyly looking at each other on the other side of you know the 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 writing scheme and and i thought like that was overplayed but um, that was a mistake for sure yeah no it's funny like when when that happens like the actor uh who's playing krennic uh he's sort of down choking and he kind of like looks up at vader like as he's walking away he almost has like kind of a slight like smirk on his face it's almost like like respect for the pun dude you know but it's like no no (laughs) what why that was terrible like it's like everything about that scene was terrible yeah, so I'll give you my, my callbacks that annoyed me. The, my four callbacks <laughs> that annoyed me the most oh, okay, was, like, yeah. that and the the Cantina Thug guys. Uh, and then, like, R2-D2 and C-3PO saying, Agreed. like, oh, nobody ever tells me anything. Like, uh-huh. I hate that shit. And then also um, K2SO saying, I have a bad feeling about this. And then oh. they're like, shh. Yeah, All no, this no, stuff, that, like, cut that it. shit you out of this movie. You have to see that. And it, I, you have I, disagree to, I disagree with that. Yeah. Raj. Yeah, I'm I'm high fiving you across the country. Yeah, yeah, it has to be. I mean, <laughs> that, that's be in, that's a Star Wars tradition. Yeah, except for the first one, right? Oh no, it's in the first. It's in one. the first one. It's in the first. I one. I know everything. I have a bad feeling when they hit the Death Star. Yeah. <laughs> Can we? You know, this line of this line of conversation started with a question to me, which I never got yeah. to answer, and I insist on being able to talk now. All right, the chair recognizes Mr. London. <laughs> All right, so here's the thing. What were we talking about again? Cameos? No. Easter it was, eggs? It was the fact that you know... Um, oh, the expanded, the expanded universe. universe. And I spoke for you. I'm yeah. Sorry. And then everyone else had to have their say. All right. Now it's my turn again. Uh, Easter eggs. There is a lot packed into this world. And a lot of it is like really poorly built, like control consoles, communications oh, yeah. consoles. Um, weird costumes that are too simple. And like, all of that detail put into making visual aspects of the world not as cool or good as they could be, but instead retaining the accuracy to the original film. Mm-hmm. That stuff I thought was very stylish and well done. Um, I very much enjoyed that. I also <laughs> think you mean like yeah, like Vader's eye tints and and like things like that. Or are you talking yeah, like about the like the eye tint, just... like uh, the the. Uh, the insignias on the imperial uniforms, oh, the right, control right, right. council over Jin's bed at her home, um, things like that. Well, and and just like the controls on the Death Star, mm-hmm. I think one of the big like I don't want to get too deep into prequels, but the prequels felt flashier than the originals, despite mm-hmm. taking place agreed earlier, and this felt more in line from a production design standpoint of. Yeah. What it looked like right before, like New Hope would have come, would have happened, yeah. and that 
is cool because I don't need everything to be beautiful, especially in this kind of war movie that is telling a story that is leading up to something we already know. So it didn't need to be shiny. Shiny. Yeah. Yeah, my, 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 I was gonna say my big example for that is, uh, the, that completely ridiculous, uh, storage system that they use for their, their hard drives or whatever that, uh, that, that, uh, Jin has to, Jin and, um, Jin and Cassian have to, like, like, climb up that giant shaft to, to, like, get the hard drive out of that weird, like, what the hell is that? Like, that is, but I mean, it's completely. That's also a Star Wars tradition. No, I know, I know. Giant shaft with, like, somebody climbing. No, I know, absolutely. Like, I mean, it's so ridiculous, but it's completely fitting with the Star Wars aesthetic. And so I was fine with it. You know, it's like, in any other movie, I would be like, what the hell are they doing? That's so stupid. But it's like, well, no, this is Star Wars. You have to do something crazy like that. Well, especially Um, the fact that the normal way to get those drives is to use those hand controls right. as opposed yeah. to like being able to just push a button and have it appear it's yeah. like so old school tech uh, and the fact that like Cassian was like completely clueless as, as to how to maneuver it initially it's mm-hmm. just like that is such a bizarre way to store your stuff yeah but especially it, in, but especially, I bought especially it. in a world especially in a world that has so many droids in it like why wouldn't there just be a droid assigned to that task like it's so stupidly complex but can I say that, like, I agree with Matt in the sense that, like, they, they use the word data tapes in Star Wars. Uh-huh. So you can't not have, you have to have it be a tape, even though that doesn't make sense to us these days. That I, I do appreciate that adherence to their own world building. And I, I, Matt, now that you're talking about it, I agree with you. Like, the insignias, they look a little cheesy, but, like, you're like, that's what they had. What you know, like, like, that was how, how we were introduced to this. So... So yeah, I, I think I probably had a similar experience to Matt, although I'm not quite as deep in the expanded universe stuff, but like I was like jumping in my seat every mm-hmm. time. Like when they showed blue milk, I was like, Oh my god, yeah. it's blue milk. You know, like um, you know, all all orphans, you know, or all young kids in, in terrible places drink the same mm-hmm. same stuff. It's like Ovaltine. Um Okay but like sorry, okay, wait, I, I feel like Matt got about two sentences into his yes. answer and we like all talked over him again, but Again <laughs> Um but Matt, I w- like I don't know if there's anything else you're going to say right there, but I want you to talk about the Jedi Temple and is that from any of the other expanded universe materials? The the Temple on Jeddah, that one. Yeah. Um, I don't think Jeddah's been mentioned in anything before. It's possible that it has. I I, I say that I'm a uh, uh expanded universe guru, but really I'm an expanded universe guru from like 1991 to 2000, and after that all bets are off. So. Mm-hmm. I do know that there are a number of, of shout-outs to uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels animated series um, in this in this movie, which I think is really awesome. Um, I was really impressed with the way that they tried to tie in all of these different pieces together, and it ended up creating this really vibrant connective tissue that made it feel like every piece of multimedia about Star Wars is all part of the same universe. So you have uh, specific shout-outs to... The original trilogy, like the Death Star and Tarkin and Leia. You have shout-outs to the prequels, like uh, Bail Organa, played by Jimmy Smits. You've got shout-outs to Clone Wars, like Saw Gerrera. Um, and you've got shout-outs to Rebels, too. I think that there's a rumor that the general who was working with... Uh, what's the what's uh, Diego Luna's name in the Cassian. movie? Cassian. The, the Cassian's, Cassian Andor. Cassian's commanding officer is... is uh, 
the same as a different character in the in the Rebels series. It appears that Jedha was created and developed for the film. Yeah, but at the same but time, but at the same time, so the 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 Empire's mining Kybar crystals in in Jedha, and that's uh that's interesting because Kybar crystals actually date all the way back to the original screenplays. Uh, that Lucas worked on in preparation for what would eventually become Star Wars Episode Four, and they feature prominently across all sorts of different pieces of the expanded universe. Um, they are known to be the crystals that are inside of lightsabers. Um, a different spelling of Kyber crystal uh, was used in Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the very first expanded universe novel, which came out in like 1978, like even before Empire Strikes Back. Um, and then it, they come up, I think they feature very prominently in the, uh, Clone Wars, uh, animated series. And I think they're also an item that you can acquire in the Knights of the Old Republic video game. So it's like all these different pieces of media, um, but, but never something that's been mentioned in one of the, like, theatrical release films. So that was really interesting. Um, uh, uh, two, the two characters that they meet in the city, um, uh, were, are, are something related to the Wills, W-H-I-L-L-S, and, uh, and that the Wills are part of a, um, another organization or a book of some kind, like a holy book that predated, uh, that predated the, the writing of the original, uh, episode four screenplay. So all of these things that were sort of like hidden in the background of the concept material for Star Wars, things that have been picked at in the past, uh, mind for pieces of the expanded universe are now sort of getting their moment in the sun in an actual theatrical film. So all of that I thought was really, really cool. Um, so yes, uh, th- th- there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, question, I have a question, Matt. Yes, Do you think, yes. so it seems like pretty obvious that Jedi is related to Jedi. I mean, like that there was definitely I mean, that, that was what I took away from it. Like, those names wouldn't be so similar if there wasn't some kind of, you know, it didn't need to be an explicit, like, yeah. this was the planet where the Jedi were created, but that it was a, you know, like, there's that, that statue that's kind of fallen on its side. Yeah, um, cool, cool art design there as well. Yeah. But I, that's what I liked, is that those those bits didn't need to be explained. They were enough to develop the the background material without needing to be parts of the plot and, and help give depth to this universe that already, I think, has a lot of depth to it. Um, and just to add to your list, Matt, the um, Vader's castle was actually supposed to be in one of the, the movies previously um, and then got cut. And I think it was maybe, was it Empire or was it something else? I don't know. But, right. Um, yeah. And in fact, so, yeah, so Ralph McQuarrie had had drawn concept art for this Darth Vader castle um, in some places, it's referred to as Bast Castle. And the, this idea of a Darth Vader castle has, ama- has made appearances in other Star Wars video games and other Star Wars comics and novels over the years. Um, in this, in this incarnation, it's transported to Mustafar, the volcanic, uh, mining planet where, uh, Anakin Skywalker was mortally wounded in Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. So, um, very, co- like, very cool to see how pieces of, you know, Previously unproduced material combined with the prequels, combined with characters from the original trilogy, all mixing together to kind of create this connective tissue that I'm talking about. Um, it is interesting with the with the scene with Vader on Mustafar mm-hmm. that 
throughout the film, we got a lot of title cards telling us where we were. Mm-hmm. But planet, but there was no title card for that. And so I immediately was just like, this dude has been on this planet for like 18 years, just <laughs> wallowing in how awful everything is. Why, like, it's, it's an interesting character thing about Vader that he chooses to build his castle where he, like, suffered his greatest defeat. But you could say that was where Darth Vader was born, right? So, like, that moment was yeah. when Anakin Skywalker died and, and Vader, I mean, I don't know where the, where the Emperor created the actual physical body of Vader, but, um, I actually, I will say I liked the Vader stuff. I know it, it's kind of like, again, a little bit of fan service, but I thought it worked for me, except that my own minor, my minor, um, quibble is that, you know, I felt like I could tell James Joel Jones sounds older mm-hmm. than he did back then, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and except for the pun, that was my favorite <laughs> thing, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. otherwise I thought, you know, you you kind of have to have Vader in it to to kind of tie it in to the previous movies, um, and then of course at the end I was I, that was probably my favorite part of the whole thing just because we've never really seen that in mm-hmm. that way before. So yeah, well we what? haven't had scary Vader in a mm-hmm. long time because you know at the end of Jedi he's you know seeing his son and dies happy, and then we had Anakin for three movies. Um, And then he's not in Force Awakens, but for the last 30 years of Star Wars films, it's been all about the redemptive story of Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker. Mm -hmm. And the Darth Vader of this film is angry and violent. And we don't get, we haven't seen that in the films in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, one of the things, Raj, that you mentioned was just this idea that, um, you get little bits of information that doesn't really tell you what they are, but it allows us to extrapolate and imagine a much greater and larger universe than what's shown on the films. And that's exactly what the original trilogy did so beautifully. Um, you know, there's reference to this republic, but we never see the republic, uh, or the se- the senate, right? There are references to the Clone Wars, but we never find out what those are. Um, there's this unseen emperor, but he never makes an appearance in the original film. And all of that, uh, you know, was what made, I think, the original films so compelling because they, they implied a much larger universe that, than there actually was and fueled this great, vibrant, expanded universe. This film, unlike any of the prequels or even episode seven, really, uh, tries to do that same thing, tries to express this world beyond what we see on the screen and, you know, lets you know that there's this richness and history to it that we don't need to know, but that we can imagine. I I also just want to say one thing. You were talking about how they kind of draw from the original aesthetic of Star Wars and, the, and those kind of things. That's one of the reasons I have faith in Disney's because even in the Rebels TV show, I don't know if anyone watches it. I've been watching it. Um, when they created some of those character concepts, they went back to the Macquarie art for Star Wars, like the stuff that, you know, what Chewie looked like before he changed to Chewie and what the droids looked like. And they use that as their inspiration. And I think that's really smart to use to, to use the stuff that everyone loves 
as their basis rather than, you know, the prequels, which are a little, mm-hmm. you know, controversial, I suppose. Um, and keeping to that aesthetic. I mean, wh- what was the ship that, that they were on originally, uh, Jin and, and Cassian? It was so dirty. I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the fact mm-hmm. that it was so dirty. All right. So I think it's time to talk about Tarkin. <laughs> I hate, like, as you can probably guess, I hate these CGI characters so much. It just, it's like mm-hmm. fucking Who Framed Roger Rabbit or something. Um, but so Raj, you said that you, you didn't mind him or you liked him or what, what was your, can you defend this? I, I, I guess I thought mm-hmm. that they, you know, again, if it probably could have, they could have done, um, less actual visuals straight up on his face because I think the more that he was in it, the more you became aware that he was a CGI character. But I thought the voice was like spot on and I thought that they came so close with the with the image that like if they had a few like passing moments it would have worked for me and i thought that you know like jordan i think said his presence is important in this because it's all about the death star um and i love actually um the fact that he was never assigned the death star he kind of stole the death star from somebody else mm-hmm. and I, th- I think that's like an, a little interesting depth to the story that that makes it feel more real um but I, you know, I agree he, they could have toned it back a bit, but it didn't, it didn't actually bother me that the other blatant use of CGI bothered me more because it felt more forced. Uh, this felt like I was actually, and again, you know, maybe I just wanted to, to kind of see this person I would never be able to see in this movie in real life, but cause I always liked Tarkin. I always thought Peter Cushing was, was great, but, um, I think that it worked for me within the plot of the story and I was willing to at least suspend my disbelief enough to, to kind of accept it. So it didn't really knock me out as much as uh, other stuff did. And, you know, the very end of the movie, I thought was a little bit more, you know, blatant than this one. So. Well, yeah, before we get to, I mean, it seems like what they should have done to me if they were going to have him be on screen, which I'm not sure they should have, but if they were that he talks to um, Krennic via hologram, and then mm-hmm, it would mm-hmm. kind of mask the, you know, the, the fact that he didn't look quite right wouldn't matter so much because yeah. the hologram isn't supposed to look quite right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great idea. I didn't actually think of that a bit, but I mean, yeah, like I, I, I think it's like, I just had so many questions, like why did they decide to do that when it's like, obviously it's like, okay, if you're going to make a whole movie full of like a bunch of aliens and shit that have, that are digital effects, that's one thing. But I mean, it's like when this one guy is interacting with all just people, just actual human beings, it's like, he doesn't look real, you know, uh, yeah. just re- recast him. I yeah. mean, come on. We, we, we all understand that actors die and that, you know, you can have a different person playing the same role. It's like, how hard would it have been to just, you know, get somebody else and it's like, oh, oh, that's Tarkin. Okay, got it. Well, I, I get you. You know, it's like, just do that. Come on. I think it's it's also that knowing that we have young Han Solo coming up and that we're not doing some young CGI like Harrison Ford and that Donald Glover is young Lando, like, it sets a weird precedent stylistically for what Disney is doing with Star Wars moving forward. Um, just because we know that we have more films coming up with existing characters that are just recast. And I think that Tarkin, obviously this takes place before New Hope, so it's a specific look you're going for with the with CGI Leia at the end. I think it was an opportunity to just surprise us all with whoever you've cast as 
young Leia for mm. the next five years. Um, because inevitably we're going to see her not as a CGI character. After this film, we're pretty much, I feel like we're probably done with Tarkin. But with her, knowing that we have young Han Solo coming up, I was like, this wasn't necessary. And the fact that we get this, you know, close up on the back of her head before she turns around made me go, oh, maybe they're actually going to just drop in this casting reveal at the end of the movie. Like you get, like essentially Samuel L. Jackson showing up at the end of Iron Man and <laughs> like everyone flips out. But instead it's, I, I literally just said, Jesus Christ. And then, <laughs> and then the, the credits rolled. Cause, and it was a combination of her saying like, hope, and her face. So mm-hmm. I think that Tarkin, I, I understand why they did it. It was weird. I got over it. But mm-hmm. she, it's just, there's so many more opportunities with young Leia than there is with Tarkin. And also, the, they they brought in footage from Star Wars for mm-hmm. like the Gold yeah. Leader and, and uh, was it Gold Leader and Red Leader? The two of them? Yeah. Um that I thought worked really well and they didn't have to like CGI. The, I mean, they had to do some manipulation obviously, but they didn't have to CGI them mm-hmm. in that way. And I wonder if they could have done something like that with Tarkin, um, yeah. you know, just have him walk into a room and then have the back of his head and then listen to him talk while Krennic's facing us or something. I mean, they probably could have done something like that. But. That's what I thought they were going to do. Um, or, or like when we first see Tarkin, we see his face sort of reflected in the window that he's looking out of or the, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Um, and, and I thought that maybe that's how they were going to play it. And, and, and that probably would have worked better because, uh, I mean, I think probably if you would scrutinize it, it probably still would have looked fake, but, uh, that probably would have been a little bit easier to digest than like seeing his face. Like, and I, I maybe they were trying to trick us into thinking that's what they were going to do because like they sort of tease us with that and then they have him turn around because they did the same thing with Leia, uh, where, you know, like you think, oh, she's not going to turn around. But then she does. Surprise, um, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know about all that. But um, with Leia, like I'm, I'm at, that was really interesting. What Jordan was just saying with the, you know, like yeah, like they could have done like a casting reveal and stuff. I mean, obviously with the Han Solo movie, it's like you wouldn't expect to see Leia in that because they clearly met in Episode Four. But, um, but I mean, just the fact that they might make other movies that she would be in that that does make sense. Um, her reveal didn't bother me as much as Tarkin, I guess, because Tarkin was on screen so much and we had to like see so many so much scenery with like so many scenes with him in it um whereas like leia was just so brief like i feel like i didn't even really get a chance to digest it and i was so surprised that they actually did it that um like i, I would have to watch it again to really like see what my reaction was but like my my initial thought was that it didn't bother me as much as tarkin but um on rewatch i i am perfectly prepared to be proven wrong well but like jordan was saying it's the last moment of the movie so the fact that it's yeah, kind yeah. of like weird and doesn't work Kind of like it's you don't want to end the movie on that note, you know. I I think what they should yeah. have done is just should have had the guy go into the room and we see her, but she's kind of like not in focus, but we just know that she's standing mm-hmm. there. And then the door closes, and then I think it should have cut to the exterior of the ship, and the rest of that conversation should have been voiceover. Uh-huh. And just as she says hope yeah. or whatever they have her say, the ship goes to light speed, and then that's the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that would that would have been good. Why why don't these people hire us to like be consultants? I don't <laughs> we keep mentioning the possibility, and they still they never do it. I know. Doesn't doesn't George Lucas own the visual rights to a bunch of dead people anyway? <laughs> I think so. I was going to say I think ethically I do have an issue with like can you just suddenly recreate these people and make them do whatever you want, but I do think he own I, I don't know if it's actually Peter Cushing, but like he owns uh, uh Carrie Fisher has said he owns <laughs> like 
the the rights to her likeness. I don't know. I I guess it's specifically for that movie, but like you know, he can do whatever he wants with that. So. It's funny. Okay, lots of feelings, lots of thoughts. First of all, yes, Jordan George Lucas does has pursued the life rights to a number of old dead actors. That said, I guarantee you the Peter Cushing estate received compensation for the use of his likeness in this film. It would be completely insane if it did not. Um, well, and he's been on Clone Wars and Rebels, too. But also, all and since those are caricatures of the existing yeah. actors, I guarantee you the estate um, received compensation for those appearances as well. Um, I had the exact opposite uh, reaction uh that then the that then Raj did to to these that sort of like cameos weird likeness cameos mm-hmm. i thought that the tarkin cameos were awesome and i thought that the red and gold leader ones were terrible <laughs> because oh. well so here it, and it, and it's about the execution like as this cg model is as good as it gets right now just like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park in 1994 were as good as they could get then just like cg yoda in 2002 was as good as they could get then um it's not perfect i thought that when tarkin was standing completely still it was just a dead on likeness of peter cushing it sounded just like him it looked just like him it was i my mind was blown when i saw that and then yeah when when uh when he starts walking around it kind of looks like his neck doesn't have any bones in it that's fine <laughs> like they're not there 100 percent yet. that's fine <laughs> they're not there 100 percent yet but they will get there at some point like some at some point before the sun explodes or the death star blows up the earth there will be <laughs> a, a a you know uh we will exit the uncanny valley and have completely indiscernible CG characters. But, but, but Matt, like John was saying, they can cast, they can't cast a real dinosaur. So we like understand <laughs> CG uh, dinosaurs, right. but they can, they can, they recast Mon Mothma. Why can't they recast Grand Moth? So, uh, you know, they could, and I'll be honest with you. I thought that the impersonation that the actress playing Mon Mothma, uh, uh, did was incredible. Um, I couldn't tell the difference yeah. between the two of them, but, you know, Mon Mothma's on screen for like four seconds and no one cares about her. Nobody likes her. Like people, people make <laughs> jokes about the fact that Princess Leia is the only woman in the entire Star Wars universe. And like, that's because no one thinks about Mon Mothma because she matters that little. No one thinks about the, the one other un- woman right, in all of no the Because no one cares <laughs> about her. It's totally unimportant. Tarkin, someone in this conversation said they love Tarkin. Like Tarkin's a huge deal. And if it was just like, you know, some skinny kid wearing a Grand Moff uniform, people would be like, this is not the Tarkin that I signed up for. It's just not the same, right? And I guarantee you, when that young Han Solo comes, movie comes out, that movie is not going to be good. And it's not going to be good because some, some, they're going to CG a scar on some kid's chin and he's going to be like, have his mouth half open and kind of turned up on one side. <laughs> and you're going to be like, oh my God, get me out of here. I would rather watch Han Solo be shot out of the Death Star in a refri- in a lead lined refrigerator. <laughs> movie. Yeah. Hey Matt, Matt. So uh, when these people saw Tarkin, or, or when you were saying that they're if if 
these theoretical people who who saw this Tarkin that was cast instead of this digital guy, and they said, "Hey, this isn't the Tarkin we're looking for." Was that because they were like doing a Jedi mind trick on themselves it, to convince this themselves isn't that the was actually cool okay? Or... For. Yeah, right. Is that is well, that what so it was? One, okay. So okay, so you could make the argument that seeing a new actor would be just as distracting and pull you out of the scene as seeing this bizarro CG Tarkin uh, pulled you out of the scene. No, and yeah, the first the first ten seconds of that first scene with him. I didn't hear a word anybody was saying because in my head I was just going, oh my god, what the heck is this thing? Like I was totally amazed by it. <laughs> um, but then once it settled in, it was so, I thought it was so cool to see it. And to see uh, Tarkin being this sly, smug, ruthless uh, uh, officer uh, was just like really, really cool. I was totally into that. Getting to see this character that I knew and loved I agree. for so long in a new context it's an uh, even if there's it's a little bit off. It was a pretty amazing technological feat. Now, I agree you. with you. Now, red leader, gold leader. <laughs> Those are clips lifted directly from episode four. They are lines of dialogue ripped directly from episode four and then hacked together by some moron film editor with one hand tied behind <laughs> his back to like chop these two pieces of dialogue between like the quote inflected exactly the way it is in the movie and then some impersonator filling in the second half of the line like really badly executed and any obsessive fan who knows the inflection of every single syllable in that movie it's it's immediately apparent what they're doing and it just rips you right out of the scene i was completely distracted because i'm just like this is a hack job why who's editing this thing (laughs) so that really infuriated me um I feel like if they had, you know, cut to the cut to the the actors in their cockpits, uh, just as like part of the part of part of the scene, that I think could have worked really nicely editing that footage in. But as soon as they start quoting themselves, it just sounds weird. It doesn't sound realistic. Unlike no, the giant planet covering shield, which is totally realistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, see, Matt, I agree with both you and Raj. I hated all of that stuff. So I hated the Tarkin and the Gold Leader, and yeah, yeah. Anyway, I I I will just say one thing about the the actor versus you know recasting versus CGI. I think part of it seems to be that you know this is happening right before A New Hope, basically. So Tarkin here to Tarkin there has to match up better than Mon Mothma, who doesn't show up until. The third movie, Return of the Jedi, with which oh, you can say, on. okay, well, she looks close enough to what she looked there. It's fine. But it wasn't like the next day she's in that movie, right? So, But come on. Um, we understand these are movies, right? Oh, I know. Like, I know. I all, agree with we you. We all I, understand they're movies. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a choice, I think. And I think, yeah, they, they kind of went all they, – they almost made all the choices, but like not consistently. So. Yeah, I think we're just going to have to agree to disagree on this one because, like, I'm yeah. totally with John. Like, Chris Pine doesn't look like William Shatner. I don't care. And then, right. Like, it's a different timeline, Dave. Those are totally different timelines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one time, his facial structure grows differently. Yeah. <laughs> and the technology is completely different than it was back then. So, Wait, are we still talking about Star Wars? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. So, um, all right, we need to move on to some other stuff here. So, uh... So, Jordan, you said that you didn't watch a lot of the trailers for this movie, and I totally watched the hell out of the trailers because the trailers were really good. And I often enjoy watching the trailers way more than watching the actual movie, so I'm not cutting myself off from trailers right now. 
But there is this problem watching the trailers that Matt talked about last year, which is that then you know a lot of things that are going to happen in the movie because you're like, oh, I saw that shot and that, that hasn't happened mm-hmm. yet, so I can predict what's going to happen. But in this movie, like 60% of the shots from the trailer are not in the movie mm-hmm. and, and are telling a completely different story than what's in the actual movie. So it was a really bizarre experience because, uh, I mean, th- I guess they they must have reshot the hell out of this thing because so it's so different from the especially the first trailer. Like there are just like shot after shot after shot that are just completely inconsistent with the story that, as it is in this movie. Did anyone else notice that? Am I the only one who was watching the trailers? That- yeah, no. And I think that's what I was saying and that my expectations were that it was going to be one thing because that painted a picture in my mind of 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 and. Honestly, it wasn't that different, but when I thought of it being a war movie, I kind of would have preferred to have seen all of these guys as part of a unit from the beginning, because I think that what was a hard sell for me was all of a sudden they're just adding on new people, and these people just all kind of naturally glom together and work as a mm-hmm. team, and it, I would have just been ready to buy that they were a unit. They were a rebel unit that traveled together and worked together, and I don't think that splitting them up and then having them join up together did anything special for the movie. Um, you know, why couldn't you have the one blind guy who believes in the Force, uh, who's just a, a... The rebels are a ragtag group of people from different backgrounds who are willing to fight, and I thought it seemed like... It's almost like, oh, now we met these two guys, and then all of a sudden they're f- risking their lives for us. And I know that they're all you know, rebels from different kind of stripes in a way, but it just, I mean, and and again, I also agree that the stuff that you guys were talking about, about like the moral ambiguity, like that was all great. I just, I just think that they went about it a weird meandering way when it could have just been simpler and could have given us more character development as, as a, as a. A side effect, but that's not so. part of the trope and the 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 genre of this particular kind of war movie, right? Like they're deliberately emulating that style of film, like Seven Samurai or Magnificent Seven or Dirty Dozen, where um, these characters are all you know loners, mercenaries, rebels, and they they meet up and they form together in order to take on this impossible mission, right? Like, they go knowing it's a suicide mission, but they have this loyalty and trust to one another that comes out of meeting one another over the course of the film. Like, I didn't have a problem with that just because structurally it made sense in terms of the homages that the filmmakers were trying to make. Um, I get that, but I think that I would... You know, I think what was missing, and again, it's a tiny little touch, is that they shouldn't have just automatically gotten along. Like, if there Mm -hmm. had been some kind of... Uh, friction, but then when the chips were down and people started shooting at them, they all formed up together. And, and, you know, that, that to me is more of emulating that kind of Western trope where, you know, even if they're, they're just kind of competitive with one another. Um, but, you know, and, and not to, I actually liked all of the characters, although I, I like I said, Cassian didn't really do much for me because he was probably the most milk toast of all of them. But, um, I don't remember the name of the blind guy and his, and his friend. Like, I love, them to death like i could watch a whole movie about those two guys uh and i kind of wanted more of that so but i agree that that my impression of what the movie was going to be about based on the trailer was completely different and i think you know maybe i'll watch less trailers in the future when it comes to these kind of movies so well but i was what i was saying is i thought it was interesting that they had this, these trailers that gave you a sense, I guess maybe it mis- misled you, but it gives you a sense of the movie, but then it doesn't spoil the movie for you because the movie, the actual mm-hmm. movie is completely different. 
Um, I mean, I'm sure that's just because they reshot this thing so much, but it would be nice if all trailers were like that, that, yeah. you know, it was suggestive rather than definitive. Oh, I like that. Absolutely. Like, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. I'd be more inclined to uh, have more trailers like that. And but although I, in this case, I've been more on Jordan's side of the fence where it's like I, I tried to avoid the trailers because like, well, I knew I was going to go see it. I, I saw the teaser and I was like, OK, well, that's enough, basically. And uh, we were actually at Disneyland uh, right before uh, just last weekend. And so uh, and my wife was like, oh, like maybe they're playing an extended trailer at, at, at this one theater, which they do sometimes. Um, and so we were, we were sort of heading over there, and I'm like, I, I don't know if I, I really want to do it. And it's, it wasn't playing, so it didn't become an issue. But I was like, if, if it came to it, I was like kind of trying to decide, like, well, I could just say, like, okay, you guys go ahead and go watch it. I'm just going to wait out here because, like, I don't want to see any more. I don't want to see any more of the movie before we actually go see the movie. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's a really interesting notion that, like, I mean, if you have all this extra footage and you can use it in a trailer, um, and uh then that like you know makes it makes makes it possible to have more surprises for the audience i mean i think that's cool um as long as you don't mislead them into thinking it's a different movie than it is which it sounds like that's what raj felt yeah i mean i do want to say raj what you were, i i actually agree with you that it would have worked just as well for me if they had been a unit from the beginning and cuz cuz like like i was saying what what I really wanted out of this movie was just some sort of like fairly plausible military, you know, situation set in the Star Wars universe. And so that then it really bothered me when they the rebels aren't going to do anything. And so they steal the ship and like go off on their own. And then that just felt like a totally Hollywood cliche. It gave us the name me. of the movie, though. <laughs> we got to hear yeah, but... the movie's name in dialogue. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> Don't you love when that happens? <laughs> uh i mean i'm my, my thing is just no my thing is just because it just seems like in every single movie if there's anyone who's any part of any sort of you know law enforcement or military structure or something they always have to just go rogue and go off on their own and like mm. give the middle finger to their commanding officer and all this stuff and i thought of all movies for that not to happen in the most like military star yeah. wars movie would be the one for them to avoid that cliche for like once in the history of filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, I like that in, uh, on the, I'm, I have the Wikipedia page open so that I can remember the name of all the characters. But, uh, so Jen Urso's, uh, description here is a rogue maverick. Uh, and it's like, Oh, she's a rogue and a maverick. So, you know, she's going to play by her own rules. Hey, John, you know, it's Wikipedia. Yes. Why don't you edit the entry to not have that? <laughs> I could, I could, I could fix that. Well, if you haven't, by the time that this goes to print, you know, one of our listeners will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but Rush, I want to pick up on what you were saying about Cassian being sort of milk toast, right? Because I feel like that was another one of my major issues with the movie is that I felt like the character arcs and the plot were not working together. You know, like, I feel like the, the plot in, in these kinds of movies, you need a plot story and a character story and ideally you want them to be like two cogs where the teeth are interlocking and they're turning together in the same direction and i felt like the plot wheel was turning quite well throughout the whole movie like all that stuff made sense but then i felt like the character wheel kind of stopped turning about two-thirds of the way through the movie and cassian's um defining characteristic essentially his sole defining characteristic is that he's willing to sacrifice innocent people to get the mission accomplished and mm -hmm. that puts him or it should structurally from a story perspective put him at loggerheads with Jin, 
who doesn't care about the mission at all, and she just wants to protect her father. And I feel like that should have carried through to the climax. And so my rewrite for this story is that Cassian does try to kill Jin's father at the base, but doesn't succeed. She's upset about that. He gets taken off to the Scarif base. Cassian needs to go to the Scarif base to get the plans. Jin wants to go to the Scarif base to rescue her father. They have to work together to do that. Um, but in the course of all these adventures, Jin then comes around to see things Cassian's way. That sometimes you do have to make these big sacrifices for the greater good. At the climax, she has a choice to either rescue her father and get the hell out of there and let the rebellion mm -hmm. fail or sacrifice herself and her father in order for the missions to succeed. And then it seems like all that stuff would all be working together. It seems like it was all set up and then it never mm. got followed through on. Right. It's like they shy away from it. Like they, they set up like you have to, you have to take him out and then he has mm -hmm. him in his sights and then he just like, ah, I don't, do, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And so then later on, he's like, oh, but I didn't kill him. And I was like, you just missed this big opportunity to set up this whole like thing. And I, I, I think like you said, Dave, I agree that the bits are all there. You know, he's done some terrible things in the name of the rebellion and you can, f you can see that it's weighing on him and he's not completely happy about it. But, you know, then he, when they're arguing, he's like, well, you've never had to like make these hard decisions and you haven't had to fight for your life and you're not the only one who's lost people. And I feel like you're right. Like if by the end he should see like, oh, the value of, of not making that those hard decisions necessarily in a cold mannered way. And she should see the value of like fighting for something you believe in or whatever it is. But I, f it, it, th I think that was part of the reason I love it as much as I wanted to is because, and Jordan touched on this too, the character arcs are kind of wonky and don't really match up. And maybe that's part of the reshoots that stuff just got changed so much that mm. they lost that original arc. But I, what you just said sounds great to me. I mean, yeah. that would, that would have addressed a lot of my concerns. In that moment when he could have shot her dad, I, I wish there were more behind, like, that we had a better understanding of what was motivating it, because it does kind of seem like he's like, oh, well, she's not so bad, and look, she's still on the, the platform, and we should protect her, and it gets very protective, and I don't, like, the moment when he decides not to shoot, I still don't feel like I have a strong understanding of why mm -hmm. he doesn't shoot so my my like mind goes to he must think she's hot and doesn't want her to be mad at him <laughs> um but then they never make out and it's great they hug because they know they're about to die just like taya leone hugs her dad in that asteroid movie right before the asteroid hits. What the hell are you talking about? It was one of the two asteroid movies, not... Deep Impact? Deep, Deep Impact. impact. Yeah. yeah. They know the asteroid's coming, and she's, like, on a cliff watching the asteroid come. She hugs Okay, but back. who cares about she's Deep Impact? president or something? I don't know. I'm who cares? Saying, wait, wait. Tia Leone is Morgan Freeman's daughter? Okay, no, but I'm Stop saying, it! Stop I'm it! Saying if you who know cares about the, Deep Impact? If you know that the world is going to end, you can have a moment with someone that isn't that it's just a hug, Romantic. and that's okay. And I'm really glad that? that they didn't make out. Wait, wait, wait. I want to talk about the um, reshoots, though. Because, like, I mean, I, like, I had this information from my friend. It obviously turned out to be inaccurate. But there's something weird going on with these reshoots and the ending of this movie and what the studio wanted. And I don't know. I don't know any... I don't have any inside information, really. But I suspect there's something weird going on that is going to come out eventually. But in the teaser trailer... 
there's this line by Forrest Whitaker that I thought was the most intriguing part of the promotion for the film, where he's saying, what will you do when they catch you? What will you do if they break you? If you continue to fight, what will you become? And I think that's very interesting and suggests some sort of darker storyline for her that's not in this at all. She just becomes a completely bland hero mm -hmm. by, say, two-thirds of the way through the movie. And I seriously wonder if there's some more interesting character arc for her along the lines of what I was suggesting mm. that mm -hmm. has been excised from this film. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, what I was going to say is one of the other things that I liked about your suggested rewrite is that it would uh, sort of give us more time with Mads Mikkelsen, who I thought was like the most interesting actor in the movie. Whereas, uh, like, I feel like like none of the other characters and by by extension, their actors uh, were as charismatic to me as like the, the the leads of the force awakens like so the uh, so ray and, and finn like i felt like they had so much charisma and and the the cast of the original movies i mean uh has a lot of charisma and maybe but that maybe is uh factored in by uh, nostalgia just because i love them for for like my whole life but um but in this movie i felt like none of the actors really portraying most of these characters really like elevated their characters beyond what was like given to them in, in, in the screenplay, you know? And, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I think anything that they could have done that would have, uh, elevated any of that would have certainly, uh, made the, the movie more compelling on that level. Um, you know, like I said, I, I mean, I was generally pretty happy with it, but, uh, the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, oh, I wish they had made these different decisions. Well, Dave, you talked about Forrest Whitaker's character. Like I, was so interested by him too and i felt like he was kind of wasted like he he mm -hmm. he's he's the leader of this splinter rebel group and he he's a little bit threatening and a little bit crazy but like he doesn't really have much else to do and then when he meets Jin, i thought there was going to be this conflict again and instead he's just like oh here's the message and she's like oh this is what i need to to give to the rebels to like save everyone from the death star um so i i i I'm intrigued by the thought of what his original storyline might have been. And Matt, you said he was in the expanded universe. So I, I guess I didn't know that. I thought he was an original creation. Um, I also thought Forrest Whitaker, who was an amazing actor, chewed scenery left and right. <laughs> like I, I, he was the, the one guy who I was like, Oh my God, dial it down, dude. <laughs> you know, like it was a bit much for me. So, um, all right. I guess I'll just mention one other rewrite suggestion I have for this screenplay. <laughs> so because it, it I did think the the problem as far as the characters went. I kind of I liked all the characters, John, but I felt like they didn't. There weren't really any character arcs in this mm -hmm. story, and um, I liked the moment at the end where the the blind um, guardian guy, you know, is saying like, "I'm with the force, and the force is with me. I'm with the force, and the force is with me." But it seems like from a storytelling standpoint, the character who did that should have been the other guy, the guy who lost his faith. And then, you know, he's abandoned his faith and now he just carries the biggest gun he's ever, he can get his hands on because he doesn't believe in the force anymore. But then his friend is lying there mortally wounded and his friend says, no, like, we've tried all the guns. This gun thing isn't working. You got to trust in the force. And then he has this, he, he, he you know, refines his faith in that moment and decides as a desperate last ditch effort to give it a try. And he's the one who throws down his gun and picks up the staff and walks through the hail of blaster fire and manages to mm -hmm. pull the lever and then right before he's cut. Oh down. yeah. So I don't know. I just, I just felt like more like character arcs, like characters starting in one place and ending yeah. someplace else is something right, right, really right. needed, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. Those are, Agreed. those are all my suggestions. I mean, I don't know, Jordan, do you have anything you wanted to add? 
No, I I really liked those two dudes. Yeah, they were great. I, I wanted more with them. I would watch a movie. I would watch their yes. prequel. Or their yeah, I think they need to come TV back. Show um, out because out of the the gang that is created, they were the two who clearly have lived a lot and have great stories with each other and have experienced so much of the war. And so that was, those were the characters I wanted to spend more time with just because they were badass. And I wanted to, I want to see how they became badass. I would watch, I would watch their prequel in a heartbeat. I like that they finally on the screen introduced a character who was a force sensitive person clearly, but who wasn't mm-hmm. a Jedi. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Matt, you obviously know, I mean, in a way, it does play out like a, a an adventure from the West End games because it interfaces with the main plot line of, this, of the movies with, while featuring different characters and different aspects of the universe. And I did appreciate that because obviously we've been reading this stuff for, for decades now, but like this is a, an official depiction of that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I agree. I also kind of want to believe that they're in love with I one completely, too, so. uh, that is completely <laughs> my canon. Have you guys followed any of the reactions or reviews or anything about this movie? I don't know if you saw there was this hilariously off-base New Yorker review that has been going around (laughs) from Richard Brody. I I didn't read the whole thing. It it just seems like so much craziness. But the line everyone was quoting is he says, and he hated the movie, um, but he says, there's none of the Shakespearean space politics enticingly forward dialogue or experiential thrills of the best of George Lucas's Star Wars entries, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. He's trolling. (laughs) <laughs> that guy's yeah. trolling. I don't believe that for a second. No, no, no human being with eyeballs and eardrums could actually have that opinion in real life. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Clickbait. Clickbait. I mean, do you think, I mean, this movie is, it's gotten less good reviews than um, Force Awakens, though, right? And, you know, which I disagree with because I liked it a lot more, but... Um, it seems like, do you, do you think this movie is more for hardcore Star Wars fans? Like, it seems like a lot of it is, you know, not necessarily aimed at a general audience. I think that's possible for sure. It's interesting because I saw Force Awakens in New Rochelle opening weekend last year, and it was completely packed. People were in costume. We stood in line for like two hours to get into the theater. And now we live in Berkeley and we literally just walked into the theater. I was wearing a Chewbacca hoodie that was given to us by Rush. And <laughs> nobody else was even remotely geeked it's out. Just another movie. Yeah, it was just a movie. But and this people, is... like, people would be like, hey, nice jacket. But nobody else was even, like, was even showing their fan colors. So, you know, and we went opening night. We went to the 8 o'clock showing as opposed to the 7 o'clock showing. So maybe the 7 o'clock showing is where all the true fans were. But um, <laughs> but it was a different experience from, like, going to see Force Awakens on a Saturday and it's still being huge versus going opening night in a college town. And feeling like I was the weirdo in a chewy jacket. But I've been saying this from the moment the Disney sale happened. I've been saying this. That it's 
once you break the cohesion of the saga, once it's more than just those movies, it, like, they're, they're just gonna be movies. It's not gonna be Star Wars anymore. There was something unique and special about that original trilogy that's never going to be recaptured. And the more churn, the more they churn out, the more diffuse the effect is going to be. To the point that there's just nothing monumental about any Star Wars film, and they're just more sci-fi action movies. Like, people are gonna watch it and react to it and be like, yeah, you know, it, this one was better than Guardians of the Galaxy 1, but probably not as good as Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And like, that's all it is to it. It's just another sci-fi movie. Um, and, and the more Star Wars movies that come out, the more people are going to react that way. How did you guys think that this compared to Force Awakens or Return of the Jedi? <laughs> You're holding out hope that somebody's going to say that Return of the Jedi is bad, <laughs> except for you. And no one's going to say that. I don't love Return of the Jedi, to be honest. Oh, my God. You guys are, oh, boom. You guys are old. You guys are old. That's why you think this way. You, you, the first time you saw Return of the Jedi, you were old enough to be cynical yeah, about it. That's, that's the true. difference. No, I was like four also, years old. I mean, Return of the Jedi was marketed Jedi. towards kids. And if you were kids when you saw it, then, you know, that's... I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad movie. I also don't think this was a bad movie. I thought it was a good movie, but I wanted it to be a great movie. Um, I liked Force Awakens better from a, because I, I emotionally connected with it on a different level. I think it has possibly more flaws than this movie does, but I liked it better than I liked this movie. Um, I still love Return of the Jedi for many reasons. I just have certain issues with, with that movie. That's all. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I basically agree with Raj, uh, and uh, I mean, I, I think I like Return of the Jedi more than he does, uh, and I don't, I wouldn't say it's bad. I, I actually, uh, I never even considered that it was bad until I started hearing other people saying like, oh, well, you know, the first two were good, but then uh, Return of the Jedi would kind of uh, sucks. But um, and then I, I sort of started to see more of the flaws. I, I was sort of blinded by uh, some of my my you know earlier uh, uh, initial impressions of it. But um, you know, I can acknowledge its flaws by while still thinking it's. Uh, uh, a very enjoyable movie. I mean, I still, it's, I, I still like, feel like some of the best moments are in Return of the Jedi. But anyway, um, as far, as far as Force Awakens versus Rogue One, um, I, I still, yeah, I still like, like, like Raj said, I, I still like Force Awakens more. I think, I, I, I think it's largely because I like the characters more in Force Awakens. Like, I, I, I think, I, I love Rey and Finn, and, um, I think that, that just goes a long way. Um, uh, as much as I, uh, as, as much as I appreciate all of the, the, the dark grittiness of, of Rogue One and, and the, you know, bringing us back closer to, uh, A New Hope and, and that, that timeline and everything or that time period. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a huge difference in, in my opinion in terms of which one's better or worse. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I think they're both pretty great, but I, I, I do like, uh, Force Awakens more, I guess. I, I agree. Um, Force Awakens was like a hug back into the Star Wars universe that was like, remember all these people you love? And here are some very fun, engaging new characters to interact with people who you already know and love. Um, and this, you know, was pretty much all new characters, so it takes time to, to get that affection and just, um, empathy for them because they're completely new and the only thing you have going into it is that you know what the end of the movie is you know that they're going to get the plans and that this is how they're going to get to them um but 
again, I mean, I, I have the same feelings as Raj and John where I had a great time watching both, but I think Force Awakens I enjoyed more in the moment. Yeah, um, well, so Return of the Jedi is a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> it's the third, it's the third part of the greatest cinema experience in history. Um, and it's essential to completing the saga and having it be the Star Wars trilogy, right? You need it. Um, so obviously that's going to be way above anything that comes after it. Um, in terms of episode seven, you know, it's been a year. I've had a lot of time to think about the movie and reflect upon it. I've talked to a lot of people who've given me really compelling arguments for the redeeming qualities of the film. Um, I've thought about those points, and I've decided that Episode 7 is even worse than I said it was a year ago. <laughs> that movie is actively evil. It's subversive <laughs> to the point that it damages the original trilogy. I would take any of the prequels over Episode 7. And what? I, and oh, I shut think, your mouth. Wow. Shut I, your think, mouth. I think that those prequels are unwatchable. Jordan, run. Un, happening? Unwatchable. <laughs> I think those prequels are unwatchable. And I would take any of them over episode seven. Because the, the prequels are the prequels. And you go, you know what? Those movies suck. Forget about them. Just watch the Star Wars trilogy. Episode seven actively says, no, screw the Star Wars trilogy. We're going to take a dump all over it. We're going to take the beautiful <laughs> conclusion to this saga, undo it, stab your dad in the heart, kick him off a cliff, and then just pile on all of these nods and winks and packing some, like, millennial fans into the, into the series. Episode 7 is a car crash. It should not be viewed by anyone. It should be burned and destroyed. And now we have to watch this next sequence of movies forever and ever and ever. And there will never be any end to them. And there will never be a final conclusion so that Disney can keep making money. All right. Well, let's let's put that issue aside for a sec because I want to talk about Rogue One. And I actually think that Return of the Jedi is better than Rogue One because Return of the Jedi, I think John was alluding to this, has like great moments but then all the stuff on the surface of Endor, I, I don't like at all, basically. But still, those those great moments, I think, make it put it over over Rogue One for me. Um, but I still think Rogue One is much better than uh, Force Awakens. So I think we've all got our. I think it's all pretty clear how everyone feels about these movies right now. Oh, I'm not sure. About that. <laughs> Jordan's now reminding me uh, silently that uh, I've now sacrificed any hope I ever had. Of writing a Star Wars expanded universe novel, which, by the way, is one of my dreams. Uh, Disney, call me. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say for the record that I disagree with everything oh, that I'm no. saying. So, but just just for the record. Uh... Yeah. So, so I know, like a lot of people, if you're just casual listeners, you maybe can't differentiate our voices from each other. But what you no, just no, heard no. is Matt <laughs> London talking. Dave, I can't believe you said all those things about Episode Seven. <laughs> Um, all right, cool. So the, just, I think kind of the last thing I want to talk about is the, uh, white supremacist reaction oh. to Rogue One. So, uh, they were trying to organize a boycott of this movie because of the idea of the multicultural heroes fighting the, uh, fascist, uh, dictatorship. 
Uh, seems not to have worked because the movie had one of the best opening openings ever. Um, but I was just wondering if you guys, have you followed this at all or anyone have, <laughs> have anything they want to say about the strangeness of this movie following at this moment in history? It's funny because, you know, thinking back on how angry I was about Force Awakens, uh, it, it, it's, it's just kind of like interesting. I can, I can think back to a time when I was, I had, didn't have all the things I have now to be angry about and I could focus that anger on on this movie coming out and now I have so many more things in the world to be angry about it's uh you know attenuating my anger toward the force awakens mm-hmm. somewhat um I, I so I read an article a while back uh unrelated to Star Wars about the way that um alt-right bloggers authors and activists are um at actively trying to troll the mass media um injecting a lot of really absurd inflammatory um language into the the popular news media um with a deliberate intent to point fingers at uh liberal journalists and say haha look at these idiots they don't even know when we're being facetious or trolling them they're so stupid um, and so whenever I see any of this kind of like over the top disgusting language coming from the alt-right, I always kind of assume that they're half trying to get a rise out of us, us being, you know, sane people living in the real world. And so because of that, I try not to give too much credence to that kind of language. Like there was a whole thing with the Daily Mail and some of the comments that were being posted there. Um, you know, sort of lashing out at having a female protagonist and a, um, a multicultural cast. Um, and I, like, I just can't even take any of it serious. I mean, look, the thing that they're saying should be taken seriously because it's inflammatory language and it's offensive. Um, but, you know, I think the more that we try to divine what their motivation is, um, the worse it's going to be for, you know, productive members of society. I'll just go on record saying that I was really inspired and invigorated watching, um, you know, a very diverse cast, a female lead, um, take up the, the Star Wars mantle. Um, you know, I feel like in a way that's kind of always been the theme of Star Wars, but has never quite still been delivered in the execution. Um, and I'm really glad to see, uh, Disney going in that direction. I, I hope that they keep doing it. I agree with that. I would just like to say I think they still need more women. I mean, we had one. Uh, somebody yeah. pointed out that there's never been a female droid before. Like, they're all default male voices. Um, and aliens are also generally default male. So, um, I love... Unless they're sexual objects, like a Twilight. Right. Yeah. And so, I love the diversity. I want them to do more of that. I want them to have more female roles and female characters and better female characters because i think i mean everyone loved ray in force awakens uh people seem to like mm-hmm. Jin in this movie so you know they can do it so i mean why couldn't there have been two more female rebels uh, in the group i don't know but uh yeah yeah mm-hmm. it would be nice for there to be more than one awesome woman um so that you know star wars can pass the the bechdel test at some point um but, you know, I think the diversity in this movie was great. Um, 
the next like the next step I'd love to see is disability representation played by performers who are disabled. Not to take away from the performance that we got in this film, but um, the fact that we have uh, disability representation at all is great. But it but the next step is let's get some disabled performers up in Star Wars too. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, getting back to what Dave was uh, asking specifically about with the with the white nationalist complaints and boycott and all that. I mean, it's like it, I, I didn't follow it too much because, like Matt was saying, it's like, well, it's just so ridiculous. It's like, what 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 point is there in uh, getting upset by it? It's um, but uh, like it's just it's it's so insane because it's like, well. I mean, are you watching these movies and thinking that the Empire is the good guys? I mean, because, like, that's the only, that's the only way I could understand, uh, uh, like, you know, white nationalists, like, enjoying these movies. And it's like, well, but, but you can't watch it that way. It's like, it's, it's, they're obviously bad and, and fascist and evil. And so, uh, so the fact that they would say anything about Star Wars at all, like, I mean, who cares? <laughs> I mean, just, you know, shut up and go away. Yeah. Well, there's, there, there was this quote from Bob Iger that just came out. Uh, from Disney, where he says, uh, it is not a film that is in any way a political film. There are no political statements in it at <laughs> all. Uh, right. Which I think is pretty silly. Yeah, um, that's stupid. Yeah. I don't know why he said that. <laughs> cutting your, like, your graces with Disney. <laughs> no, I, listen. If Simon, Pe- if Simon Pegg can say the things that he said about the Star Wars prequels and still appear as a character in Episode Seven. I think I'm probably in the clear. Don't worry. <laughs> I just need to be as famous as Simon Pegg first. Well, I'm not, but well, and J.J. Abrams apparently hated Star Trek, and yeah, they hired exactly. him to, to you know revive Star Trek. So you know, <laughs> yep. Um, I, I I just want to pick up Matt on what you were saying about uh trolling because yeah. there, I don't know if this is an old movie. I don't know if anyone ever saw it, but there's movie there's this movie called Victor Victoria where it's about a woman who's pretending to be a man, pretending to be a woman. And I always think of that with these like online racists where they're like, I'm just saying crazy racist stuff on the internet to upset you. And I'm not really racist. Ha ha ha. And it's kind of like, there's just like one level of sort of not comprehending their own motives deep, you know, like nobody posts racist, offensive things on the internet to get a rise out of people. Unless one level below that they're actually racist. Of course. Right. I don't, I'm not. And yeah, and, and so I don't know. It's it's just you're not you're not fooling anybody, you know, except maybe yourself. Right. Uh, what a crappy note to end on. Can we talk about how <laughs> uh, how awesome uh, something was? What was awesome in the movie that we liked? K two. <laughs> yeah, that dude's funny. <laughs> I feel like we didn't spend enough time talking about. Well, how let's awesome talk about Alan Tudyk for a second. Really Alan Tudyk, who's made yeah. his entire career off of. Uh, snarky comedy and dying horribly in movies. So let's give some props to Alan <laughs> yeah. Tudyk. Great job, great job. Keep working hard. I just want to quote my favorite K2SO line where he's talking about the blaster and he says, you're letting her keep it. Would you like to know the probability of her using it against you? It's high. <laughs> it's very high. <laughs> so wait a second, though. Because in that scene, <laughs> that's clearly an homage to C-3PO's dialogue in Empire Strikes Back where he keeps telling Han the probability of various horrible things happening. Never him. tell me the odds. That's a direct reference to something that happened in an earlier film. That didn't this this particular instance didn't bother you? 
No, because it was it was right on the edge for me. I mean, like because it makes sense to something the robot would say. When he keeps giving the probability several times after that, uh, then that started to annoy me. But that one line I thought was perfect. Yeah. It was just right on that, right on the edge of, uh, you know, referencing the earlier earlier movie, but not being something that uh, undermines my suspension of disbelief. What did you guys think of the AT-ATs in this movie? They're actually AT-ACTs. Oh my god! No, acts. <laughs> They're at acts. They they were they went down really. Wait, well, how, easy. how are they different from? Well, that yeah. They're smaller. Are they smaller? They're Is smaller. that the deal? Yeah, one was able to fit down a city street in Jeddah. No, no, that, that was, was an ATST. A- no, that's the ATST. ATST. Oh, see, oh, this is what I get for trying to act like a jack. Yeah, but no, <laughs> I do know that the, the it is a new uh, a new walker for this film was the ATACT. It just the, the that sounds like a test you have to take to go to college. <laughs> the <like>. at act. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they probably canceled that model after the Battle of Jeddah because they're like, well, look how easy they are to destroy. We yeah, need we better, need better ones, ones that, that can survive in snow. In snow. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. Screw beaches. Let's prepare them for snow. <laughs> I you know I will say I thought it was a great climax. The the visuals were totally unique to the Star Wars universe. Like. I'd never seen, um, I'd never seen a beach planet before like that, or like an archipelago planet. I thought that was really awesome. And it also kept to the pattern of one of the things that I really, really love about Star Wars climaxes, where you have three or four very different kinds of action happening simultaneously and intercutting in between them. You know, that was really one of Lucas's great innovations in, in, you know, in filmmaking was bringing some of that back and, and, and presenting it, um, in a blockbuster. And this one didn't disappoint. You know, we have the space battle, we have the ground battle, and then we have the sort of like person to person, uh, combat, um, inside the tower. I thought that was really, really cool. I just felt that the climax, I, I, I enjoyed the ground fighting. I enjoyed the space battles, although I wasn't quite as engaged in the space battle as I felt like I should have been for whatever reason. Right. But, well, the mistake there is that there, there was no character that we know and love who's a, a direct, a, a direct mm-hmm. agent inside of that space yeah. battle, right? That's what's missing is that you don't know anybody there. I think that the 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 one part I felt let down by was the part with Jin and uh, Cassian and Krennic. Um, it just felt like it it diffused very quickly. Like a lot of the tension I felt with those characters specifically diffused very quickly, and I didn't get that sense of like triumph that I wanted to. You know, it's just like they flipped a bunch of switches, and then the bad guy got shot, and you know the the space battle and the the beach battle by comparison were way more you know like the, the stakes seemed higher the you know everything seemed kind of balanced on um, you know a, a fine point and so that felt like a letdown in comparison to the other two yeah well that's why i'm saying rush i think something went wonky with their character stories because you know at the end of a new hope right at the at the very climax of the movie, Han Solo makes the decision to come back and save Luke, and Luke makes the decision to use the Force rather than trusting his computer instruments. And those are big choices that those characters make in that moment at the climax that's directly tied to their character arcs. And in this movie, like you're saying, like the Cassian and J- uh, Jin at the climax, they're not making any big decisions, let alone any big decisions that are tied to their character arcs. So yeah, it just it does feel like it just sort of deflates it at that point. Uh, yeah, you know, um, in, in 
regard to the different space battle stuff and, uh, you know, Raj mentioning that he was sort of let down by them a little bit, uh, I generally like them a lot, except the, uh, the final climactic thing where, um, where that, uh, Mon Calamari says, like, oh, I have an idea, and he, and he gets that Corvette to, like, push the Star Destroyer into the other Star Destroyer, and then they both crash into the shield generator. It's like, that was like, kind of a cool visual, but it just, it didn't seem like a very clever strategy. It was like, well, wait, why did that even work? Like, it, it just it, it seemed kind of uh like I don't know like a le- like lackadaisical to me or something like it's like okay well that 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 one little ship's just gonna push that giant ship into the other ship and then it like cuts through it like butter and then it and then they both crash into the into the shield um you know I I'm all for seeing one star destroyer crash into another one and then crash into that shield but I just would have rather it like happen by some cooler means or something mm. that didn't bother anybody else I wasn't completely sold on it. I mean, you know, I, I was willing to go with it because, like you said, like, I like watching those things crash into one another. But I thought, wouldn't the Star Destroyer just pour on <laughs> engines in a certain direction and somehow be... I mean, that thing was much smaller, but they did say it was a hammerhead yeah. Corvette, right? And apparently it was introduced mm-hmm. in Rebels yeah. at some point in time. So maybe that's, like, their primary function. I don't know. And one of the Star Destroyers was disabled. Like, the engines were down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, the one okay. that I was pushing. But maybe I yeah. missed that. But but still, yeah, but still, like no, I actually missed that too because I I had made the same comment after um after watching the movie and Christy said like oh yeah no that one's agents were just dis- were disabled but it just it seems crazy to me so wait so like they don't have any thrusters or anything on the ship like there's no maneuvering thrusters on that gigantic fucking spaceship that they you know could have done anything they were just completely helpless like it seems a bit. Well, maybe Jin's dad designed that ship, too. (laughs) Here's a a quiz for you guys. Why wasn't the Mon Calamari commanding officer Admiral Akbar? Because he knew it was a trap? (laughs) Anybody know? I don't know. No. So, fun fact, Admiral Akbar was a former slave and servant of Grand Moff Tarkin. It's oh. during the events of the Galactic Civil War, after the Battle of Yavin, I think, that you managed to, you, the player character in the X-Wing video <laughs> game, um, uh, are able to rescue a Imperial convoy of slaves and free them. And one of the slaves that you free is Admiral Akbar, who then joined the rebellion as, a, as an admiral. Too bad that's not canon hmm. anymore. Oh, I guess that's probably not canon anymore. But I thought mm-hmm. it was cool that they could have made it Akbar and they didn't, probably because of canon stuff, game stuff. I was going to say that he rose through the ranks really quickly to become an admiral in that case, but then again, they, they made Han Solo sure. a general As like, a, after yeah. one battle. So, you know, they <laughs> they they hand out titles very, yeah. very easily. I like seeing a different color Mon Calamari, too. It's like diversity in their alien ranks as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's an yeah, alternate yeah, yeah. universe where a bunch of fish people are sitting around talking about this movie going, Oh, I really like the representation <laughs> of having some blue people in this movie. <laughs> all, right, all right, guys. I think we are totally out of time. So yeah. uh, maybe just... Yeah, Raj has to get to his movie. This movie. Oh, yeah, right. Again. And maybe I'll like it this time. Yes. And then you and then you have to hop into the time machine and go back in time four hours and have this conversation with Just us. A, a so we have to small let anecdote is the first time I saw the the first Lord of the Rings movie, I hated it. And it was because I had a very distinct image in my head of what those movies should be. 
The second time I watched it, I loved it. So, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe this will be hmm. rewritten in my brain. So we'll see. All right. Well, let's all, let's all hope that Raj has a good second watching of Rogue One right now. All we have is hope. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I think we're going to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with John Joseph Adams, Matt London, Rajan Khanna, and Jordan Hammersley London. So guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. And may the forest be with us. <laughs> Always. And that was our panel. So a big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Matt London, Rajan Khanna, and Jordan Hammersley London for joining us on the show. Special thanks as well to Mark Muhair and Christopher Svetkoff, who both just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time or fixed monthly contribution, you can do that via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to John Hauser, who just made a very generous contribution to the show via PayPal. John writes, I'm a $1 per episode supporter, but I wanted to add a little extra holiday goodness, this being by far the best of the many podcasts I listen to each week. Thank you, David Barkertley, Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, and guests for stretching my mind in unexpected directions with each episode. Happy holidays to you and yours. The emotions are true, even if the social, cultural, and religious underpinnings of the season are a bit suspicious. So a big thanks again to John Hauser for that nice note and for his continued support. And of course, a big thank you again to everyone out there who supported the podcast. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.